Why might passion be overrated? How can we find the sweetness in ambiguity? And how might the former Saturday Night Live performer, Gilda Radner, teach us about how to find the funny in life's most unreasonable events? Good day, this is Dr. Nancy Ellen Miller, and I'm here for what is, well, the last episode of Curiouser. That is the last episode of me reading from my book, Curiouser. But it's not the end of Curiouser, the podcast. In the coming months, I plan to interview people who, like me, are curious about how to live well in the 21st century, how to make the best of uncertain and ambiguous times, and how to create a workplace built upon insight, psychological safety, curiosity, and meaningful innovation for the future. Without further ado, here is the last installment of the book, Curiouser. In the years following Elizabeth Gilbert's overnight rise to fame with her runaway success, Eat, Pray, Love, the writer traveled the globe. She gave talks in which she encouraged her audience to follow their passions. For Gilbert, following her passion was easy. Writing was her first love, her enduring love, and will likely be her love until death do them part. Why wouldn't she want others to passionately do what they love? But one evening, Gilbert received a note from an audience member. The woman wrote that she'd never felt as awful as she did after Gilbert's talk. She had spent years looking for her passion. She'd taken courses, read books, hired coaches. But rather than feel inspired, she felt ashamed. Everyone was telling her to follow something she didn't have and couldn't find. When you hear the word passion, you might, like me, Think of flamenco dancers, Portuguese fadistas, or romantic flings on the Adriatic. But maybe there's another way to engage with life and work without needing to follow a singular passion with the fire of a flamenco dancer. On a 2016 episode on the On Being podcast, Choosing Curiosity Over Fear, Krista Tippett interviews Gilbert, who has since stopped advising people to follow their passions. It's overrated, Gilbert says, fetishized. Passion is not so constant, not so gentle, not so forgiving, and sometimes not so available. There's a spirit in us all that wants to be delighted, amazed, and engaged, and passion is not necessarily the friend to take us there. I think curiosity is our friend, says Gilbert. It teaches us how to become ourselves. It is gentle, forgiving, and a constant friend. Curiosity is always there to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, look over here. So if you don't have a singular passion, don't worry. Just follow the taps on your shoulder. Make note of what engages your curiosity in whatever small ways. Craft from those taps a thread, one woven from your strengths. Leadership coach Marcus Buckingham calls those threads red threads. 
Follow the red threads, he advises. Follow the threads that inspire your engagement and love. If love is too strong a word for you, try loving kindness. When I feel frustrated in my work or have grown impatient at home, I find it helps to step back, inhale, and say, I breathe in love. And then I exhale and say, I breathe out frustration or anger or fear or whatever emotion is overwhelming me. Doing that helps me approach even the most frustrating aspects of work with a dose, not of passion, but of gentle, loving kindness. But if you're the passionate, romantic type, take heart. The one of the most famous lovers in history, Casanova, said, is love anything else than a kind of curiosity? That ends chapter four, the last chapter of Curiouser. Let's just have a quick summary of what we learned in this last chapter. Despite our need for genuine, qualified expertise, a mind that is too narrowly focused on one discipline or one way of seeing the world may have difficulty seeing the bigger picture and overcoming the biases of one field. To avoid this trap, consciously develop your range alongside your depth of knowledge. Whatever your age, practice flexing the muscles of your salience network by learning to see discrete pieces of information within larger patterns. Harness the potential of your individuality. Hire for diversity to increase the range of individual approaches that exist within your organization. Remember that the success of any team depends less on individual talent and more on mutual respect, psychological safety, and the team's ability to collaborate with candidness. There's no blueprint for leadership. Instead, consider how individual leaders that you admire think, act, and behave. What is it about each individual that inspires you? Passion may be overrated. If you find that your life has not been led by a single identifiable passion, don't fret. Just follow the taps on your shoulder and listen to your intrinsically motivated curiosity. I wanted a perfect ending. Now I've learned the hard way that some poems don't rhyme and some stories don't have a clear beginning, middle, and end. Life is about not knowing, having to change, making the best of it without knowing what's going to happen next. For those of you unfamiliar with the early days of Saturday Night Live, you may not know the name Gilda Radner. Had she not died to ovarian cancer at the age of 42, she would have no doubt shared the spotlight with some of the world's best comedians. Her fellow former cast members on SNL include Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, and Bill Murray. In many ways, she outshone them all. She was the sweetest, kindest, funniest person, said Steve Martin. She had such a happy face on camera that you really did grow to love her. Radner grew famous for her goofy impressions, parodying Barbara Walters, Barbara Wawa, Patti Smith, and the New York anchor one Rose Anne Scarmadella. 
or better known as Roseanne Rosanna Dana. <laughs> if you have never seen Radner in action, Google Roseanne Rosanna Dana right now. Or catch her and Steve Martin impersonating Shid Cherise and Fred Astaire. Radner often played a klutz, but in that clip she dances with uncanny and heartbreaking grace. The quote that began this epilogue comes from her memoir, It's Always Something, a story about her battle with ovarian cancer. Radner took the phrase, It's Always Something, from her father, who died when she was 14 years old. It reminds me of things my maternal grandmother used to say. Of the same generation as Radner's father, my nana would stand in the kitchen, one hand on her hip. It's just one thing after another, she'd sigh before turning on the radio and dancing to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. When Radner was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, she was in the prime of her life. She had recently married Gene Wilder and had been hoping to have his baby. Imagine the hair! Having cancer was a roller coaster ride, one of peaks and promises of health followed by sharp descents into physical and psychological suffering. But in her battle to stay alive, Radner learned to love life and to take care of it in a way she hadn't before. In the last years of her life, she lived with the hope and resilience and side-splitting humor that only a comedian like her could pull off. She died in 1989, a year and 39 days after my own mother died of metastatic breast cancer. It would be five years before geneticists would discover the hiccup in the DNA responsible for genetic forms of breast and ovarian cancer. But like my mother and me, it's likely that Rada inherited that hiccup, now known as BRCA1 or 2 gene. Getting ovarian cancer is perhaps the unfunniest thing that can happen to anyone. But Radner found a way to find the funny in it. She made videos for her doctors about how chemotherapy failed to make her a better tennis player and joked with her wellness circle about how her fans assumed she was already dead. She was not only a performer by trade, she was a performer by being. Recordings of her as a child reveal the same wild sense of humor you see on SNL. The same kooky eyes, the same dance of her cheeks and one laugh after another. Making people laugh was a way for her to feel in control in a situation where she had little control. It was her way to make sense or nonsense of life's events that were so overwhelming that the mind had no plausible rationale for their existence. Making people laugh was how Radner became herself. It was her purpose. It was her dharma. Delicious ambiguity is how Radner's therapist referred to the only constant in her life. It always changes. When she was first diagnosed, Radner had a difficult time seeing how ambiguity could ever be delicious. It's terrifying not to know what is coming next, but there is also something delicious about not knowing. It's not knowing that gives life its adventure. It is ambiguity and unpredictability that open the mind to wonder. So take a page from Radner's It's Always Something. If there's something unfunny in your life, and there always is, if there's something that has no clear rationale for being there, if there is something that has nudged its way in front of your dreams and your plans for happiness, pull a Gilda Radner. Feel uncertain about the future? 
without disregarding the urgency to find a ways to overcome real suffering, find that sweet spot in your uncertainty. Then mindfully breathe, mindfully yawn, slowly stretch, and savor that delicious ambiguity. And that's a wrap. Thank you for all my listeners, and I look forward to returning to Curiouser, the podcast, Insights and Innovation in the Workplace. In the meantime, I invite you to view Curiouser in its original form. It's an animated ebook. Visit nancyellenmiller.com backslash Curiouser. And sign up for our coaching session as we get curiouser about your life and career. That's all for now. Stay curiouser.